Hi, this is David Spray of the IC Disc Show, and I just finished a, a really great call with Julio Gonzalez of Engineer Tax Services. We uh, really uh, discussed uh, some of the tax incentives in, uh, in detail, and some we covered more broadly. But I'd say the main takeaway is that their firm, uh, really any tax incentive that has an underlying engineering component, they have uh, some expertise and capability. Uh, kind of a wide-ranging in, uh, interview, and uh, I really in, enjoyed uh, my call with Julio, and I uh, hope you enjoy listening to it. Thanks. Hi, Julio. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me today on the IC Disc Show. I'm looking forward to it. So, well, let's get started. Um, so, let me just give you a little, a quick intro. So Julio Gonzalez is the CEO of Engineered Tax Services located in West Palm Beach, Florida. And so rather than just reading some long, boring bio, I thought I would just ask you some questions. So why don't we just talk about your background? I don't know if I knew uh, where you grew up. I know where you went to college, but uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Miami, you know, in a very uh, Latin, Latino community and, uh, community where, you know, three generations live in a household and, you know, it's a wonderful culture and community to grow up in. And uh, so it was uh, wonderful. I live in Palm Beach now, so I'm not too far from uh, where I grew up in Miami. And it's still just a great and charming community down here. That is awesome. Well, what prompted you to want to leave the the warm, balmy climate and uh, go to Colorado for college? You know, I think when you grow up in this um, the Hispanic community in Miami, you don't know anything about uh, the country. You just don't know anything really about outside of your own little uh, world. And I just wanted to uh, explore and I wanted to see other parts of the country. And I felt that Colorado was about as far away as I could go. And uh, okay. so... I just wanted to take advantage of that and see snow and see the uh, country and uh, get a chance to be exposed to different cultures. Oh, that is uh, that is great. And then while you there, while you were there, I believe you studied engineering. Is that correct? Engineering and tax as well. Okay. So that's a probably a perfect uh, background uh, for what you do now. I think so. I mean, we have a niche. You know, where we uh, have a, we're a licensed engineering firm, we do federal and state tax work, but all the tax work we do is really associated with engineering-based sciences and uh, medical and uh, doctor research and so in uh, R&D. So, yeah, we, we have this unique niche of scientists, engineers, and tax uh, professionals. That's great. And I look forward to, to going into that in a bit more detail. Uh, so when did you get into this business? Uh, was it right out of college or when you started the firm? How? Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I went to one of the uh, big accounting firms out of college. And at that time, this was back in the 80s. Uh, there were more and more tax um law associated with engineering, specifically with real estate and how we write off and depreciate buildings. 
in how we do research and development tax credits here in the United States. So, you know, it was a niche where there wasn't a lot of competition within a big firm. So I went down that path and it kind of just took off and evolved from there. Okay. And then what year did you start Engineered Tax Services? You are the founder, correct? I'm the founder. So this company started, I started in 2001. And uh, that means I'm getting old, right? <laughs> we're, we're all getting old, Julio. <laughs> so 2001, so nearly two decades you've been, um, you've been doing this. Yeah, nearly two decades. And it's been a tremendous ride from one, you know, being one person to over 100 people. And, you know, and evolving and really the goal was to bring these type of tax benefits to mainstream United States. Um, so it's been a wonderful ride. That is awesome. So when you first got started, what was your primary service then? Was it uh, cost seg? It was cost segregation because, you know, David, cost segregation was always available to the Fortune 500 public companies to the what was back then the big eight accounting firms. And beyond that, no one else had access or knowledge. And, you know, we didn't really have the Internet back then. So, you know, there wasn't much information about it, but cost segregation is, the ability to determine what from a building is structural versus non-structural, thus giving us the ability to write off the non-structural components of the building immediately. And obviously, that's a big advantage for many uh, businesses, but no businesses had access to that. In the uh, two decades ago, it was only the Fortune 500 companies. And obviously, you know, back then, CPA firms weren't going to have an engineering department to satisfy a few clients. And so, you know, the goal really was to make this mainstream USA by being and providing that partnership to CPA firms so that they could have someone in the engineering sciences that could help their clients with buildings and better depreciation structures. And I think uh, that's what we set off to do in 2001. That is great. And since then, uh, not only have you grown to over 100 employees, but I believe you have more than a dozen different services uh, now, don't you? We do. I mean, the core one really is cost segregation, which, you know, we work with the CPA firms and their clients to go back on buildings their clients have owned or buildings that they're purchasing or building. And basically, again, giving the IRS a detailed uh, engineering study that shows what parts of the building are non-structural that really don't have a 39, 40-year life as most parts of the building are uh, depreciated. So depreciation for buildings is either between 30 to 40 years here in the United States. And uh, it's great because real estate is one of those few investments that you actually get to expense or write off. However, you know, it's over a slow period of time. And Basically, cost segregation came about because, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies were complaining that, you know, writing off a building over 40 years was not, you know, it didn't match up with the timing because a lot of the components of the buildings were wearing out uh, much sooner than that, and they were replacing a lot of the components much sooner. And uh, so they sued the IRS, and they won in tax court, and, you know, ultimately the IRS came out with a methodology to have engineers that are experts in building construction determine what is non-structural, what exhausts much quicker so that the timing matches up much better. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And as I, 
And as I understand it, really, at a bottom line, what uh, what cost segregation does is it really just uh, lets a company accelerate that depreciation. And so with with bonus and, and other accelerated depreciation, you know, they basically, is it correct that they end up being able to really, uh, you know, write off the majority of the building uh, almost, you know, immediately upon purchasing it? Is that correct? Yeah, I think on average, probably about 50% of the building can be expensed immediately now through uh, our current tax laws. And it does apply to people that have owned buildings and, you know, chose to go over depreciation using the uh, traditional methods. So they can change that one time and change to a cost segregation based depreciation method. But you're right. I mean, it uh, it writes off a lot of the building quickly, which it's great for wealth preservation, for preserving cash, and for investing in our companies. So it's it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I've got clients who've, who've benefited from that. So uh, besides the cost segregation, uh, what's, uh, is there a second service that's, you know, also, uh, uh, you, know, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that, that we might want to talk about? It appears that the research and development tax credit might be another one of the significant services you offer. Yes. So, you know, our core second business is research and development tax credits. I think one of the most important credits in our country because it's a credit to help keep jobs and create jobs here in the United States. And really what it is is a refund on labor for any labor done with the U.S. employment that is involved in innovation, innovation of a product, a service, a widget, you know, it could be growing uh, agriculture, it could be technology. But anyway, if we have that U.S. labor working on the uh, improvements, research and development of those uh, core assets, we uh, have an R&D tax credit that helps refund some of that labor. There's matched states that match some of that uh, refund as well. And why is that important? Because it's hard to compete many of the companies here in the United States with technology in India or China at much lower labor rates. So to be competitive, we've created the research and development tax credit. And we as scientists and engineers, we go into the companies with their uh, CPA blessing and basically determine what are the labor uh, is associated with innovation. And uh, for this company, we make sure they get that payroll refunded and hopefully get some state refunds as well. So that we can keep jobs here in the United States, we don't have to continue to outsource those jobs uh, overseas where the labor is cheaper. And uh, so it's, I think, one of the most important, you know, tax credits. And we're, you know, hope, you know, we're grateful to be a resource to the country with uh, being that partner to the CPAs and making sure that they have the information, they have the knowledge, so they can make sure their clients are getting these benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I know of, of CPA firms that have used your uh, your services, and they, uh, you know, and they uh, they say it's been a, a very uh, positive experience. So let, let's kind of drill down a little bit. So, what are the types of companies that who most benefit from your work in terms of you know revenue size, employee size, you know, industry, any other characteristics? Just try to help give us a sense of. I know you'd said that you you help bring this to companies other than the Fortune 500, but, uh, but obviously a company that's, uh, you know, some, some guy, 
uh, working out of the trunk of his car, selling, uh, you know, selling baseball caps, you know, it's probably too small, but you know, what's kind of the minimum size company that size that it makes sense to, for you all to take a look at. Yeah, David, that's a good question. I think that, you know, we are the resource to CPA firms and, you know, in cost segregation, you know, we're doing studies for stadiums, high rises. We're doing it for their client. That's, a doctor and has a small build out within his building or, you know, a company that has a computer store and half a million dollar building. So I think where it starts to make sense on the cost segregation side is when you have over a half million dollars in either building renovations, improvements, or actual building costs. And at that point, I think, you know, the cost versus the benefit makes sense. But again, we start, you know, at that level and go all the way up to a uh, billion dollar stadium. So uh, there's a wide range there. On the R&D tax credit, we're so fortunate because, you know, before you had to have really a company that was paying in taxes to get the tax credits, the refund of tax credits. But, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, the government extended, the lawmakers uh, extended R&D tax credits to a refund of payroll taxes. So now, you know, we're doing research and development tax credits for startups that are, you know, uh, in that incubation stage and uh, just have, uh, you know, they're not paying in taxes yet, but they are paying payroll taxes and can offset their payroll taxes. So, you know, we start there, um, but we work our way up to, you know, big pharmaceutical companies that have, you know, millions of dollars in R&D spend, you know, agricultural companies that have millions of dollars in R&D spend, the uh, local manufacturer that's just making a widget. So, uh, you know, in both areas, there's kind of a wide range. We we do what we can for the CPA firms and their clients and hopefully um, bring value to a wide range of companies here in the United States. That makes, that makes sense. So, so just to be clear, you're not so much focused on specific companies or industries and specific sizes. Rather, you're focused on being a resource for the CPA firms that uh, that have entrusted you to assist them in that if the if the CPA firm believes it's worth looking at for the client, you're you're willing to take a look at. Is that right? Really, that no client's too small if a CPA firm partner of yours wants you to look at it? I think that's true. I've learned over the years, David, that, you know, we may take on projects that aren't profitable, but it's important to the CPA firm. It's important to the client. And I think that always comes back tenfold in terms of return, whether it's the CPA keeping you in the fold for other projects or that client actually, you know, referring you to someone else. I think that goodwill always, uh, you know, comes back in terms of return on investment. So, you know, mm-hmm. we do work with uh, firms across the spectrum, uh, not all of them, you know, to, you know, make sense from a profit standpoint, but, you know, from a capital uh, standpoint, social capital, I think it does make sense. Sure. No, I, uh, I get it. Um, so on the, let me just drill down just a bit further. So like for the cost segregation, could we maybe just like talk about a specific example, maybe a client you recently worked on that you could discuss uh, anonymously uh, to just, uh, you know, kind of give an illustration of, you know, like what the impact could be of a cost segregation study? 
Yeah, I think uh, in terms of an example, we just finished a hotel project. Uh, the okay. hotel was, uh, you know, one of those traditional hotels you would see, you know, and stay in if you're a business traveler, uh, you know, moderate uh, priced hotel. Uh, but they uh, spent $4 million in building the hotel. Obviously, under a traditional uh, depreciation, they would take that $4 million and uh, expense it or depreciate it over a 40-year period. So they would take a little bit every month, right? A couple hundred thousand every year. And mm -hmm. uh, that would be used to offset their taxes. Under the study, we qualified of that $4 million, $1.8 million as uh, non-structural expenses that could be immediately expensed. So uh, for them, instead of taking a little bit over a long period of time, we were able to take $1.8 which was uh, obviously helpful for them in terms of lowering their tax liabilities, preserving their wealth, and being able to uh, use that cash to invest in other hotels and you know, in employment. And so I think um, for us, you know, it was important for them. It was important. And, you know, I love what we do, which is, you know, keeping jobs here in the United States and helping companies uh, invest in themselves. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, let me make sure I just, uh, you know, that I understand the numbers here. So if it was $4 million building, let's say for easy math, they could have mm -hmm. depreciated over 40 years. So mm -hmm. that would have been, I believe, $100,000 per year that they would have had of depreciation. Mm -hmm. uh, so that first year, they would have had roughly 100000 but instead they had 18 times that, uh, you know, with the $1.8 you mentioned. Is that is that right? Is that the gist of it? That's the perfect math. Okay. And then you mentioned the, uh, you know, non-structural things. So what would be the things that would make that, uh, uh, what would be some of the, the, the components? Yeah, when we do a study, so on cost segregation, what would be some of the non-structural components? Like HVAC? That would be, what's that? Like HVAC? Like HVAC. You know, AC and heating. Sure. All the finishes, all the signage, all the land improvements, all the landscaping the pools in the hotel, uh, flooring, you know, some of the fixtures, the plumbing associated with fixtures in the restaurants, um, I decorative see. finishes. So, you know, there's a lot and it adds up quickly and, you know, it's much better to expense that up front versus, uh, taking so long to, uh, write it off for a lot of sure. reasons. One, because they don't last 40 years, but two, obviously for uh, net income and tax liability purposes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then, um, uh, oh, what was I going to ask? So uh, accelerated right off. Um, um, I just forgot what I was going to ask. Maybe it'll, it'll come back to me. So that's a good, uh, that's a, a good example uh, there. Um, and now, so I, I, I think that's really helpful. I think uh, most people could follow that. Uh, what are some of the like biggest misconceptions around the uh, cost segregation studies? Because I'm sure they people have misunderstandings. Oh, yeah. I think the biggest one has always been, will I be audited? Will it trigger an audit? Will this create any issues with the IRS? It sounds too good to be true. Those are always the uh, the main issues, I think the main misconceptions, the main concerns. But obviously, you know, fortunately, this is tax law, and the IRS has issued guidance on it. 
and we have uh, yeah, really the blueprint for what the IRS looks at when they're reviewing these projects. And as long as you follow the uh, blueprint for what the IRS wants done, you know, the uh, reviews go well. And we don't see that big of an audit rate. In fact, the audit rate we see is very minimal because I think the agents are quickly looking through to see if they have everything. They're reviewing what the IRS uh, requires for that. And as long as that all matches up, uh, things go well. We have, you know, a few audits from time to time. They tend to be on much larger projects. And uh, we typically at that point get with the engineers at the IRS, review it. Typically there's no changes. And uh, so, you know, as long as you're following the rules, right, David, with the IRS, uh, there's no issues, I guess. The question comes with you work with a provider that isn't experienced, doesn't have the engineering licenses, and then you can run into problems. But, uh, you know, so you want yeah. to make sure, and the CPAs want to make sure, right, that they're working with a provider and they've done their due diligence because that's where the problems come in. That's why you see audits. That's why you see court cases where people have lost is because they're getting with providers that are not experts. They're really kind of just jumped in to make a quick profit. You see that in any business, right, David? But sure. it's so important when you're dealing with the IRS that you uh, you make sure those CPA firms are doing their due diligence on firms like us to make sure they have the licenses, have the experience, have the professionals. And, uh, you know, for CPA firms, that client is their annuity. And uh, mm-hmm. we understand that. And we understand if we do anything to mess up that annuity, for them, that could be 30 years of revenue lost, right? So. Sure. Uh, it's real important that uh, we understand that we understand customer service. We understand ultimately that we're, uh, you know, we're representative of that CPA firm. We have to do our best job to make sure we do that well. Mm-hmm. No, I can certainly appreciate that. That's our uh, that's our perspective and attitude as well. well. Well, let's turn to the research and development tax credit now. You know, kind of the similar questions. Uh, uh, you know, let's get into a little bit of detail and maybe uh, let's look at an example that might be easier to understand it. And then let's talk about some of the misconceptions around R&D because it's uh, it's not just uh, scientists in white lab coats, I understand. Is that right? That, that it covers more than just what you think of as just like pure scientific R&D in a lab yeah. setting. Is that right? I think so. I mean, I think people think of R&D as you know, lab coats, certainly. And and then obviously it does include the lab coats, but it includes agriculture. It includes technology. So a lot of tech firms that are making apps, a lot of tech firms that are doing uh, software. So it, obviously, you know, is that it, it, you know, it's the local manufacturer making any type of widget as well. And so, it's a wide spectrum across the United States. It's architects and engineers that are designing buildings to new standards, to new hurricane standards, to new earthquake standards, to new fire standards. So, you know, it's anything that we do in the United States that we have to improve on, whether that's a service or a product or a drug or some type of uh, tool and die. Um, so, again, a wide spectrum. And it's good just to make sure that if you have employees that are doing something that's new to that company and they're figuring out the processes and procedures and coming up with new and innovative ways that they are uh, getting that refund to labor. Because what I hear all the time, David, is that the firms 
without this R&D, tax credit can't compete nationally, globally with India's of the world, China's of the world, where, you know, people can go off and have these products or services made over there for you know, much more lower labor costs. So this helps our local companies, our companies here in the United States, our employees in the United States compete at a better level. And uh, so I think it's one of the most important credits we've had. We've had it for over 30 years. And uh, the uh, Congress, the lawmakers in D.C. continue to support it. You know, hopefully we can make it even stronger. We're not as competitive as countries like Ireland or Australia or Canada where their R&D tax credit is much higher. So we do have that risk and exposure. And certainly the bigger companies can take advantage of the, you know, the uh, arbitrage on the R&D tax credit rates over there. So, you know, I continue to go up to D.C. all the time, David, to make sure the lawmakers know what's going on in the industry, make sure that they understand that we're at risk to losing these jobs and that, you know, it is, you know, money that, you know, goes away from the treasury, right, and goes into these companies. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that investment comes back in terms of payroll tax and labor tax, and hopefully that's a good investment. So, you know, I sure. just, you know, we have to think of it as a good investment or do we want to lose these jobs overseas? Yeah, no, I I I understand. Well, let's uh, let's look at an example, and maybe let's pick one that would seem not as obvious to the casual observer, like you know, maybe a manufacturing or or kind of a you know sort of a blue collar type industry where the average person on the street would say, well, "What? That, that's not research and development. There's no white lab coats." Uh, could you think of a of a recent example you've done that's more of like a blue collar type industry that you could kind of share the sure. details on? Sure, we have a local manufacturer here in Florida that makes, you know, bras and underwear and manufactures the, the, those uh, products here in the United States. They're the last company that makes bras and underwears in the United States. Most of that has gone overseas to uh, China, and they continue to, uh, you know, make higher-end undergarments here in the United States using U.S. labor, and without the R&D tax credits, they simply couldn't compete any longer. And it's become mm -hmm. more and more uh, difficult to compete with the uh, overseas, you know, labor. But the R&D tax credits help us keep their prices in a range that they can continue to sell here in the United States and prosper. So, you know, that's a local sure. one. But that's, you know, one of the last remaining companies in the United States doing that that's been able to stay here with these credits. Sure, sure. No, I appreciate that. Well, I'm wondering now if maybe we could kind of maybe on another company that's that's that would be that would have more anonymity, you know, where there might be hundreds or thousands in their industry that we could actually kind of maybe drill into the numbers on one like, you know, maybe the, you know, roughly the size of the company employees and, you know, kind of what the process entailed and then uh you know, maybe what kind of of, uh, of a credit it ended up with? Does a a study come to mind? You know, off the top of your head that you can recall the numbers, or is there something that you might have at your fingertips you could look at? Yeah, I mean, we generate you know close to two billion a month in R and D tax credits for our clients. And oh wow! So it's obviously pretty significant, you know. We recently had a software company that does software associated with payroll, and you know we generated roughly 
$15 million in tax credits for them annually. Of course, their software development is specific to payroll and other uh, payroll-related services associated with uh, companies here in the United States. They do that software innovation here in the United States with U.S. labor. And obviously, that's a you know public company with thousands of employees and thousands of offices across the country. But for them, you know, that R&D tax credit is the difference between us losing thousands of jobs overseas to development of software likely in India and uh, keeping right. those jobs here, and that's significant. But we see a lot of that. So, you know, we have the small, you know, manufacturer. We have the large software developer. We have large pharmaceutical companies averaging 20 to $30 million in R&D tax credits. We just did a $5 million tax credit for a perfume maker here in New Jersey. Hmm. Um, but I can also think of a R&D tax credit we had just done a couple million for a manufacturing firm in New Jersey that makes chips out of popcorn. And uh, so wow, it's, it's great to see all these companies doing well, but taking advantage of this R&D tax credit so we can continue to keep these jobs here. Yeah, and so if you're if you're generating credits of uh, of more than a billion dollars per month, that's I'm guessing that's what thousands of projects or tens of thousands or hundreds. Uh, uh, how many? What would be a, kind of a typical month for how many projects you would do? Yeah, probably a few hundred projects a month. That's awesome. That is awesome. Okay, well that is uh, that is good. Um. um what um, what are some unique things about ETS that differentiates it from other firms in the space? I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I'd like to give you just a little more uh, of an opportunity to uh, to, to go in, into to detail. So, so what are what are some of the things that really make you unique in the industry? Well, I think one thing that makes us the most unique is that we're actually the only firm that's a licensed engineering firm. So, okay. you know, that's important because we have to live to the standards of being licensed in the United States by state, by the federal government. So I think that sets the bar, the standard high, and we have to uh, live to those high standards for being licensed. And okay. I think secondly is we've probably done the most, right? We've been okay. here the longest we've done the most projects we have the most experience with the IRS and uh, I think that speaks well for you know who we are and uh, you know our background and you know we have licensed engineers on staff licensed CPAs licensed tax attorneys and again we don't take over for the CPA we only come in and do these reports with the CPA and with the client and sure so again we're just that resource for them but I think all those things make us a real unique uh, niche company here in the country for cost segregation and research and development tax credits. There's other firms out there, and um, they're all um, great pairs of ours. Um, so it just comes down to the due diligence. Pricing is always a big thing. We try to be price competitive. We compete against the big four, of course, and uh, we try mm -hmm. to pay about 50% of their pricing to uh, remain competitive out there. Yeah. Okay. So I would say those are some of the unique differences. 
that is very helpful and i especially appreciate you uh mentioning that uh, you're the only licensed engineering firm in this space that uh to me that that's that would speak volumes um as a differentiator <laughs> so what i'd like to do now we we have uh, just a few minutes left i'd like to to just kind of talk about some of the other services you have and again don't uh, don't just like rattle off all of them in 10 seconds but uh, let's talk about, you know, one or two other uh, services that are either particularly timely or that you have a just unique enthusiasm around and, and you know, maybe, you know, even as many as three or four if, if time allows. So uh, what comes to mind besides R&D and the cost segregation that uh, that you're excited about? Yeah. So one of our other big services is energy tax services. So um, when people make buildings energy efficient, or retrofit buildings energy efficiently. There's a lot of federal and state and local incentives associated with making a building energy efficient. And we measure that energy efficiency for those building owners to make sure that they take advantage of those federal tax benefits. A lot of people aren't aware of them. Sometimes they take the local benefits, but don't take the federal benefits. And uh, so that's one of the big uh, services that we deal with, David. We also, you know, work with Opportunity Zones, which is new out of the 2017 Tax Reform Act and Opportunity Zones. It's basically a tax benefit to incentivize businesses and real estate moving into uh, areas that need revitalization. And uh, so we're heavily involved in helping our businesses take advantage of the Opportunity Zones and structuring those uh, tax benefits in the right way. So I think that was a big part of the new tax benefits that came out of tax reform as well. And, of course, we deal with everything you can think about related with taxes and buildings. So historic tax credits, when we're taking a building that's over 50 years in age here in the United States in a perhaps bad neighborhood but needs revitalization, we can help them get 30 to 40% of those costs and revitalizing the building back in terms of tax credits, which they can ultimately sell. And uh, so I would say of the things we're most involved in and the other services, I would say those are at the very top. Yeah, that's, uh, that is exciting. And like on the, the opportunity zones, uh, again, um, I like uh, kind of real life examples. Can you think of an example for a project you've done this year around the opportunity zones? You know, maybe a, uh, you know, because they're typically in like a economically depressed area. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah. So economically depressed area. So uh, we did a, a building in St. Louis that uh, was built in 1899. It was a old shoelace manufacturing company that hasn't manufactured shoelaces since the uh, early 90s. And so the building was 50,000 square feet and had become vacant and uh, really was in an economically distressed area uh, and just needing that extra good tax law to bring uh, capital to it and bring back jobs to that community. So that uh, building was in a uh, opportunity zone and also was historic. So that money finally came in because of the, uh, the tax codes and uh, 50,000 square feet of now renovated building that's 
beautiful and now tech companies are moving in there because they're also taking advantage of being a tech startup in an opportunity zone. So now we see a building that's, you know, again, brilliant uh, from despair to brilliant. And now we see uh, so many jobs and so many companies moving into that building because it's in an opportunity zone. And why is that important? Because if I go into an opportunity zone and my company does well, then I have a tax advantage because I don't have to pay capital gains after a 10-year period, whether it's the building or the real estate. So that's a tremendous wow. example. But David, I see all these examples every day of capital going into these uh, distressed areas because of this new tax law and new companies taking advantage of it. And, you know, these are areas that probably would just be dormant for many, many, many years of uh, and have been. But now we're seeing that uh, good tax law, good tax code, and good ideas can actually uh, bring significant yeah. jobs and re revitalization to communities. Well, that is awesome. And, and thank you for pointing out something I hadn't that didn't click at first, but that you could have a project that could utilize you know, a number of your services. Like you mentioned, this one uh, it qualified for both Opportunity Zone and the historic tax credit. But I suppose as you're you're putting in new lighting and stuff, there might have even been some energy tax uh, uh, credits available as well. And there was cost segregation mm -hmm. for writing off the building renovations. And there was R&D for all these tech companies moving into the building. Wow, what a you know, what a great we, thing. David, we try to be the Robin Hood. You know, we try to uh give back to these uh small companies and these uh distressed communities and make sure that the the money's staying there for expansion and jobs and renovation and uh, and hopefully all this good tax law is working. That is awesome. Well, I can't believe how fast the time has uh, has flown by. So if it's okay with you, why don't I just take a minute to just see if I can recap the call. I've been making notes here uh, okay. to just have kind of a summary. So uh, your firm's nearly two decades old, and uh, uh, one of your key differentiation uh, items is that you're the only licensed engineering firm in this space. You don't really think in terms of minimum size clients. You think more in terms of the relationships with your CPA firm partners, that if it's a project they're interested in, it's a project you're interested in. Uh, you know, some projects, because of how small they are, may not be especially financially attractive, but you look at it kind of from a bigger picture, the, the value of the entire relationship uh, with the CPA firm. Um, even though you've got a bunch of different uh, services, the, the one thing they have all have in common is a need for an engineering uh, component. And uh, the projects you have will oftentimes be able to use multiple services across, uh, uh, you know, across your, your portfolio. Uh, did I did I do OK at summarizing that or what did I leave out? I thought that was perfect. Really, really well done. OK, well, so if um, so, let's say somebody's listening to this podcast and they want to learn more, or explore this. So what would you suggest they do as a as a next step? Is there a, a particular uh, you know place on the website web you want to send them? Do you want them to reach out to you or one of your colleagues or just by phone or email? Uh, what, what, would, what would you what would your preference be? Yeah, please go to our website. I think there's a lot of great video and educational content that can 
help you uh, learn more about these tax benefits for you, your CPA, and uh, clients that can take advantage of that. And we're at uh, engineeredtaxtaxservices.com. And uh, everything that you could think about that we do is on there from an educational standpoint. You also can uh, contact us directly from our website. That is great. And the uh, and what is the, the main phone number, just in case they don't make it to the website? Sure. Our, our main phone number is 561-253-6640. And we always appreciate your calls and consideration. And again, we're uh, here first and foremost as an educational resource. That is awesome. Well, Julio, well, thank you uh, so much for making time in your busy schedule to be on the IC Disc Show. I learned uh, really a lot about uh, not only your firm, but really these uh, engineering-based uh, uh, services altogether. And I mm-hmm. suspect you've done a great job of educating our listeners as well. So, so thank you very much and keep up the good work. Well, thank you for having us. We appreciate all you do out there in the tax world as well. And uh, hopefully you and I are helping uh, companies and people make a difference here in the country and uh, appreciate what you do as well. All right. My pleasure. Thanks again, Julio. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-disc show.com and we have additional information on the podcast archived episodes as well as a button to be a guest so if you'd like to be a guest go select that and fill out the information and we'd love to have you on the show so that's it we'll be back next time with another episode of the ic disc show